Okay. Yeah. Good morning. Well, at least you responded to something. <laughs> You're ready to answer all my questions this morning. Good. We're into prophecies of Christ again. We're into what was his purpose? Why did he come? So we're just kind of setting the framework um, to look at all the prophecies that we think are relevant in the Old Testament, about 271 of them and draw to where that was verified or where it was satisfied in the New Testament. And some of them, there's a bunch of places. You know, it's, it's obvious where it's satisfied, um, but we'll pick out those that, uh, that make the most sense. But that'll, that'll tie the two together. So generally starting, what would you say his purpose was? Why did he come? To, say, to seek and save the lost. Seek and save the lost. Okay. How about this first one? In Mark, on Mark chapter 1, underline chapter 1. Now when evening came, after the sun had set, he, they began bringing him all those who were ill and those who were demon-possessed. So he's in a town. It turns out it's Capernaum. It's in Galilee. And he's just been in Nazareth. They kind of threw him out, remember? This is at the very beginning of his ministry. So he goes from Nazareth to Capernaum, but he's still in the northern part of, of Israel. And the whole city, Capernaum, had gathered at the door, and he healed many who were ill with various diseases, cast out many demons, and he would not permit the demons to speak because they knew who he was. It's the beginning of his ministry. Again, he wasn't really telling everybody who he was. And in the early morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, went and went away to a secluded place and prayed there for a time. Simon and his companions eagerly searched for him. They found him and said to him, everyone's looking for you. He said to them, let's go somewhere else to the towns nearby so that I may also preach there. For this is why I came. And he went out into their synagogues, preaching throughout Galilee and casting out the demons. So what's the purpose here? that he states that he came for? To preach and teach. You know, you have John 1, 1, 1, where the beginning was the word, the word was God. He's the word. One of the purposes, that's just one, that's why it's number one. There's three. But the one purpose that he had that we're going to talk about first is to teach and preach. To get people to understand what God really, really meant. Because, quite honestly, the leadership had really messed it up. What, what he really wanted the people to do, how he wanted them to serve them, was, had been totally distorted. And so he came to set things straight. So in Deuteronomy, first one. The Lord your God will raise up you, a prophet like me from among you, from your countrymen. To him you shall listen. This is in accordance with everything that you asked 
of the Lord your God at Horeb on the day of the assembly, saying, Don't let me near the voice of the Lord my God again, and do not let me see great fire anymore, or I will die. Remember, that was on the mountain. And the Lord said to me, They have spoken well. I will raise up from them a prophet from among their countrymen, like you, and I will put my words in his mouth, and he shall speak to him to them everything that I command him. And it shall become about that whoever does not listen to my words, which he speaks my name, I myself will require it of him. So, in Deuteronomy, what is Moses writing about here? That's underlined. How is that a prophecy of Christ? Because he's the fulfillment of it. Well, he says, yeah, he's going to fulfill it, but I'm going to raise up a countryman from you. Where'd Christ come from? Yeah, what tribe? Yeah, what tribe? Judah, tribe of Judah. Okay, I will put my words in his mouth. What did Christ always say? I'm doing the will of the Father. Everything I do is a reflection of the Father. If you've seen me, You've seen the Father. So, in John, this is one of the ones, like I said, we picked out. Then they were saying, who are you? Jesus said to them, what have I even been saying to you from the beginning? I have many things to say to judge regarding you, but he who sent me is true. And the things which I heard from him, these things I say to the world. They did not realize that he was speaking to them, but the Father. So, Jesus said, when you lift up the Son of Man, you will see that know who I am. And I do nothing on my own, but I say these things as the Father instructed me. And as he who sent me is with me, he has not left me alone, for I always do the things that are pleasing to him. So Christ is telling him, he's not saying specifically, he says, but I only say the things the Father gives me. And Christ came from the tribe of Judah. So you can see the fulfillment of that prophecy out of Deuteronomy here in this passage that we pulled out of John. Moving to the second one, Isaiah. Isaiah is one of the books that has a whole lot of prophetic um, uh, verbiage in it that we'll be referencing. Come near to me. Listen to this. From the beginning, I have not spoken in secret. For the time it took a place, I was there. And now the Lord God has sent me in his spirit, which is what the Lord says. He is, he is your redeemer, the Holy One of Israel. I am the Lord your God who teaches you to benefit, who leads you in the way you should go. If only you'd paid attention to my commandments, then for your well-being would have been, your well-being would have been like a river and your righteousness like the waves of the sea. Your descendants would be like the sand and your offspring like its grains. Their name would never be eliminated or destroyed from my presence. So, in the beginning of this Isaiah, it says, from the beginning I have not spoken in in secret. The beginning, when was that beginning? What beginning is that? Christ is referred to the Alpha and the Omega. What's the Alpha? Creation. He spoke it into existence. But then again, he's, then he adds to it, this is what the Lord says, he who is your Redeemer the Holy One, I am the Lord your God who teaches you to benefit, who leads you in the way you should go. So who's speaking there? Or who is 
Who's that talking at from whose perspective? It's God, isn't it? So the, so the pro, and the reason I included that last paragraph there is you can kind of see where there's two promises here, right? Remember the promises to Abraham? There was three. Land of Canaan, you're going to get it. You're going to have as many descendants as there are sand by the sea, as there are stars in heaven. That's that last paragraph. So you can kind of see that first paragraph is the fulfillment of the promise that was made in Genesis to Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. So in John chapter 3, now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This is when Nicodemus came to him in the middle of the night. This man came to Jesus at night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you have come from God as a teacher. So you didn't have the total... Everybody didn't see the same things from the same way in, in Sanhedrin, right? Nicodemus was part of the Sanhedrin. I think Josephus was also... I'm not Josephus. Uh, Joseph of Almathea was also part of the Sanhedrin. But they looked at Christ a different way than the rest of the Sanhedrin. But here, he's admitting, he says, we know you're a teacher. Okay, so you can see that fulfillment of the teacher and a redeemer. This is where he gets into it. He says, yep, and you must be, and you are Nicodemus, and you need to be um, born of the spirit and born of the water, which totally kind of blows Nicodemus' mind. But that's a different lesson. Another one, Isaiah. Again, another one out of Isaiah. The Lord has God, God has given me the tongue of disciples so that I may know how to sustain the weary one with a word. He awakens me morning by morning. He awakens my ear to listen as a disciple. This one's in Matthew. Jesus had finished teaching words. The crowds were amazed with his teaching. For his teaching was them as one as authority and not as the scribes. So his teaching as I talked about earlier, was to really explain what was behind God and what God did, what God was saying, a lot of the prophets were saying that had been written down. How did he know that? Who was, God, who was Christ listening to to interpret all that? The Father, right? Let's go on to the second purpose. I am the good shepherd, and I know my own, and my own know me. Just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. And I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice, and they will become one flock with one shepherd. What's this purpose? Bring together one flock. To yeah, pull together one flock. Okay, how many flocks are there right now that he's talking about in his time frame that he's talking about? When he, how many flocks are there? Two. And what are those two flocks? The Jews and the Gentiles. Okay. So who's this other flock? The Gentiles. I mean, the Jews are the ones that have said, okay, we're the ones that are the chosen people. What did they think they meant, that meant to be the chosen people? The only people. And chosen to be 
forever the only people. What were they really chosen for? They were chosen to bring the Messiah. That's what they were chosen for. They didn't think that. So, oops. In Isaiah, I am the Lord. I have called you to righteousness. I'll, I will also hold you by the hand and watch over you. Wait. Did I go too many? Yes, I did. And then, on that day, the nations will resort to the root of Jesse, who will stand as a signal flag for the peoples, and his resting place will be glorious. What are the nations? No. Gentiles. How does it refer to Israel? First of the nation of Israel. Singular. But this is nations. Nations means everybody. In John, so the people who were with him when he called Lazarus out of the tomb and raised him from the dead, continued to testify about him. For this reason also the people went to meet him, because they had heard that, that he had performed the sign. So the Pharisees said to one another, You see that you are not accomplishing anything. Look, the world has gone after him. This is where he has just raised Lazarus out of the, out of the tomb. And the Pharisees are sitting there going, Okay, what's going to happen? In verse 18, for this reason also the people went to meet him. The people was more than the Jews. It was the Gentiles that were around there too. They all started to go meet him. And so that's what, that makes sense at the end of that verse. In verse 19, look, the world has gone after him. Is where you can kind of see the Gentiles and the Jews are flocking together as one flock towards Christ. And you can kind of see the Pharisees just saying, well, there's something I can pick on. Because look, look at those filthy pagan dogs that are going towards Christ. This guy is supposed to be a teacher. He's supposed to know better. So they're picking at him. But this is, again, where you can kind of see a situation where the nations were going to the root of Jesse. Weren't they? Next one. I am the Lord. I have called you in righteousness. I will also hold you by the hand and watch over you. And I will appoint you as you as a covenant for the people, as a light to the nations. Again, it's plural to the nations. In Acts, this is just one of them. After they stopped speaking, James responded. Now, the, the situation here is they've just been up in Antioch. And Antioch, just for a refresher, is, it was kind of the capital of the Seleucid Empire, which is in the northern part of Israel. And it is the New York City of the world at that particular time. It is a huge city. It's a coastal city. It's got harbors and everything like that. It's huge. And Paul's been up there for several years. And, uh, Peter, and uh, Peter has gone up there. Some of the other um, apostles may have gone up there. I'm not sure. But he's been up there for several years. And the big discussion has been, do you have to keep all of the law and, do you, and, and, and faith in Christ in order to be a Christian? So the Jews have really started to push. And they have all come down to Jerusalem to say, okay, what do we need to do? What do, what do we need to tell these Gentiles? What do we need to load onto them um, and not load onto them to be a, a child of God? So Simeon had, had, has described, had God first concerned himself about taking a people for his name from among the Gentiles. The words of the prophets agree with this, just as is written. After these things, I will return 
And I will rebuild the fallen tabernacle of, so, of David, so I will rebuild its ruins, and I will restore it. So that the rest of mankind may seek Lord, and all the Gentiles who are called by my name, says the Lord who makes these things known from long ago. Therefore, it is my judgment that we do not cause trouble from these Gentiles who are turning to God. Basically, the, the, the council at that particular time in Jerusalem said, we're not, gonna, we're not binding the old law on these people. And, and that particular point, um, I think some of it got laid rest. But you can see the rest of the books that come from Paul that continue to be a problem wherever they were. In Isaiah, it is too small a thing that you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and restore the protected ones of Israel. I will also make you a light of the nations so that my salvation may reach to the end of the earth. This one I like probably the most as far as to the Gentiles, where the writer is saying in Isaiah, Isaiah is, is saying, it's too small to just take Judah, to just take the remnant and raise them up to make my children. It's too small. I'm going to do the whole world. In Luke, and I have two of them here that I, I backed it up with, is um, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and this man was righteous and devout, looking forward to the consolation of Israel, the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. So this is at the very beginning of the uh, book of Luke. This is when Christ was taken to the, the temple, and I think it's at eight days, isn't it, uh, Doug? As a child. And this guy has been said, just let me live long enough to see the Savior. So he's looking at an eight-day-year-old eight baby when he's saying this. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death, for he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came by the Spirit into the temple. And when his parents brought the child Jesus to carry, him the carry, to carry out for him the custom of the law, then he took him in his arms and blessed God and said, Now, Lord, you are letting your bondservant depart in peace, according to your word, for my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the presence of all the peoples, a light for revelation for the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. So he, was, he would just live long enough. It doesn't follow this up to say the next day he died but it was probably shortly thereafter, I would imagine. But he recognized it, and what did he say? He said, you let me see the salvation, and it's a light to the Gentiles. Also in Acts, you have the same thing. The next Sabbath, nearly all the city, nearly all the city assembled to hear the word of the Lord. But when the Jews saw the crowds, they were filled with jealousy and began contradicting the things spoken by Paul and were blaspheming. So this is chapter 11. So this is really where Acts gets into talking about what Paul did. Paul and Barnabas spoke boldly out and said, It is necessary that the word of God be spoken to you first, since you repudiate it and consider yourselves unworthy of eternal life. Behold, we are turning to the Gentiles. So the arguments were, where did Paul go whenever he went to a city to talk about God? First. Huh? He went, yeah, he went to the synagogue. First, that's the first place he went. But he's got, these people are just arguing everything he says. He says, because you argued with me, I'm turning to the Gentiles. Four, so the Lord commanded us, I appointed you as a light to the Gentiles, that you may bring salvation to the end of the earth. 
When the Gentiles heard this, they began rejoicing and glorifying the word of the Lord, and all who had been appointed to eternal life believed. So there's two situations where you see they're built light to the nations, to the Gentiles. The fourth one. Arise, shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. For behold, darkness will cover the earth, and a deep darkness in the peoples, but the Lord will rise up upon you, and his glory will appear upon you. Nations will come to your light, and kings to the brightness of your rising. Again, another passage from Isaiah about talking about the Gentiles and the fact that he was coming to the Gentiles. In Acts, this one I picked out, Acts 26, this is where Paul is offering up his explanation of why he was attacked to Agrippa, King Agrippa, and this is before he said, I want to go before the emperor in Rome. For that reason, King Agrippa, I did not... I, did not prove disobedient to the heavenly vision, but continually proclaimed to those in Damascus first, and in Jerusalem, and then all the region of Judea, and even to the Gentiles, that they are to repent and turn to God, performing deeds consistent with repentance. For these reasons, some Jews seized me in the temple and tried to murder me. So having obtained help from God, I stand to this day testifying both to small and great, stating nothing but what the prophets and Moses was said was going to take place. As to whether the Christ was to suffer, and whether, as first, from the resurrection of the dead, he would proclaim light both to the Jewish people and to the Gentiles. So as part of his explanation of why he was there, he's saying, these Jews attacked me, but they didn't have any justification for it, because it's in the prophets, it's in the prophecy everywhere that this was going to happen. But yet they're saying, oh, you can't talk about it. Oh, you can't, you can't bring in the Gentiles. It, it was never meant for them. Again, that gets back to saying, why were they chosen? They were chosen to bring the Redeemer. They weren't chosen exclusively that God would only be their people. That was the problem. They had a mindset that precluded them from understanding that God always had a plan to bring the Gentiles in. You look at that first promise that was to Abraham. Through your seed, all, and I underline all, mankind will be blessed. Not just a subset, not just a selected few, but all mankind would be blessed. In Joel, final one, and it will come about that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. So the everyone here is the, is the key on this one as far as to the Gentiles as well as the Jews. For on Mount Zion and in Jerusalem there will be those who escape, just as the Lord has said, even among the survivors whom the Lord calls. So that's out of Joel and in Romans. But what does it say? The word is near you, in your mouth and in your heart. That is, the word of faith which we are preaching. That if you confess with your mouth Jesus is the Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart of a person believes, resulting in righteousness, and with the mouth he confesses, resulting in salvation. For the scripture says, whoever believes in him will be, not be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek, for the same Lord is Lord of all, abounding in riches for all who call on him. 
for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. So this is where Paul is writing to the people in Rome, right? The people in Rome would be a mixed bag. Uh, at this particular time, some of you, you more historians, I'm not sure whether they've had, I think they've had the fire in Rome uh, that Nero started and blamed it on the Jews. And the whole desire there was to expel the Jews from Rome uh, and allow him to build his beautiful uh, palace. So he, he cleared out a whole area, he blamed it on the Jews, he got them thrown out, and then he got to build his golden palace. So a lot of the Romans that are Christians may not have much of a Jewish background. So this is where Paul is writing in Romans. But there are enough of them, when you look in the book of Romans, what, is, what does the book of Romans do? Who does it address? Somebody's going to say Christian, so I'm going to go, yeah. But it addresses both sides. You see, the book of Romans, part of it addresses overall Christians, and then it talks specifically about Jews, and then it talks specifically about Gentiles, and then it puts them all together again. So that's kind of the structure of the way Romans runs through. So he's writing, he's writing to both Jews and Greeks, or Jews and Gentiles at this particular time. But here he's quoting that scripture out of uh, Joel, where he says, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. If they had, you know, Paul saw this. Now, did Paul see this and understand it because he was so learned? What was Paul's background? Was he a, was he a, a not very well-educated guy or was he an extremely well-educated guy? Extremely well-educated, okay? Um, was it Gamamiel? I think it was Gamamiel that he was taught. Was it Gamamiel or was it someone else? Do you remember, Wanda? Gamaliel? Gamaliel? Is it Gamaliel? Gamaliel taught at the feet of him. He's one of the outstanding teachers. Paul was from Tarsus. He was taught... Um, he was taught in all the scriptures. He was very, very knowledgeable of what was going on. How did he miss it? What was Paul doing on the way to Damascus? Why was he going to Damascus? To kill Christians, or at least put them in jail. Okay. He was, he, was, he was very Jewish? Yeah. He was a Jew among Jews. I think that's what you were saying. Okay. Paul was a Jew among Jews. Okay. He was extraordinarily well. If you looked at him, he was a Pharisee among Pharisees. When you talk about that, that's the high caste system. And Paul said, I'm a Pharisee among Pharisees. There's nobody more learned and zealous for God than, there I, than I was. And that's what he was when he was going up to Damascus. How did he miss all this stuff? How did he miss the purpose, the second purpose here, was to bring together two flocks into one flock under one shepherd. Don't see what you don't want to see. That's, That's right. right. Sometimes you don't see what you don't want to see. When you think in a certain way and you've been taught, and he'd been taught, we are the chosen people, God, we are God's people, and he wasn't looking what was there. Sometimes we don't look at what the scriptures really say because... It's not what we want to see. When we read it, it's not what we want to see. But there's a little bit more to it. In Ephesians, this is where he's 
writing to the church at Ephesus. Remember the church at Ephesus. Paul spent three years there. He appointed elders. He came very close to that particular congregation. And this is one of the letters he wrote back to the people at Ephesus to say, okay, here's some things that are good. Here's the things not so good. But I want to make sure you understand it. And Ephesus, what kind of city was Ephesus? Was it mainly a Jewish city or a pagan city? Pagan, okay. Had the Temple of Diana there, and that was a big deal. It's a port city. Ephesus is a port city. It's a big city. It's another big city. And that's why he spent so much time there. So it was all Gentiles. So, for this reason, I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ, Jesus, for the sake of your Gentiles, if indeed you have heard of the administration of God's grace, which was given to me for you, that by revelation there was made known to me by the mystery. As I wrote more before briefly, before briefly was earlier in this book. By referring to this, when you read, you can understand my insight into the mystery of Christ, which in other generations was not made known to mankind, as, as it has been now been revealed to the holy apostles and the prophets in the Spirit. To be specific, that the Gentiles are fellow heirs and fellow members of the body, and fellow partakers of the promise as Christ Jesus through the gospel. So what's Paul saying? What's the mystery? Yeah, the Gentiles are going to be part of God's children. They're part of the plan. Why didn't they see it? They didn't want to see it. Okay, it was a mystery because it wasn't plain. Again, it's the nations. They had that one spot in there, in Joel. Wasn't it in Joel? Let me go back. In most of these here, it refers to the nations. If I go back to the other ones, it also refers to the nations. It's never very specific about it, but it always is the nations. It's vague enough where they didn't understand what the prophets were trying to sell them, to, trying to tell them. That the nations meant everybody. That the promise that was given to Abraham when he said, through your seed, all mankind, meant all mankind, not just selected mankind. The mystery was and I think somebody said it is, they didn't see it because they didn't want to see it. They'd been told, because all, how many times do you think they were told about the nations? Four times in the Old Testament. How many times did they were God's chosen people? Hundreds of times in the Old Testament, right? So they interpreted it to say, we're it. We're the only ones. Paul says here, it was a mystery. It wasn't a mystery because God hadn't said something about it. It was a mystery because our limited understanding of what God was trying to tell us. We didn't understand it because we didn't want to understand it. We thought we were the only ones. We were the ones who were blessed by God. We were the ones that God came down 
once a year, sat in the mercy seat. High priest went in there. Nobody else did that. Nobody else had a God like this that was a, a living God. All the other gods were stone gods, wood gods, marble gods, whatever you want. But they weren't real living gods. So from their perspective, this was a mystery. It was a mystery for the Jews. Did it, and, it was, and it continues to be a problem. You look at almost every single book that Paul wrote. You have the conflict, banging heads between the Jews and the Gentiles to say, oh, you got to do this and you got to do that. And they're always trying to bring in the Old Testament law. And it was never really meant to be brought in. What was, what was the purpose of the Old Testament law? What was it supposed to be for? To, to lead you to Christ. To, to lead, lead them to Christ. It was supposed to be a schoolmaster, right? Supposed to be teaching them as children to get ready for when the Redeemer comes. And now you're supposed to be like adults. You understand what you didn't understand before. You're now, you understand the fullness of God's plan where you didn't before. So the old law, the law of Moses, was to bring them to the particular point that they'd be ready for the Christ and to move on. But they had to have the Holy Spirit. They had to have, have the Holy Spirit tell, to give them the authority. Speaking in tongues, what was speaking in tongues for? Was it supposed to be an indication of how, how holy you were? No. It was a tool to communicate somebody in another language. What was the ability to heal given for? The ability to reach people, to teach them about Christ. All this was to teach about Christ. It wasn't to bring any glory onto yourselves. The final purpose, because we're getting close. People are starting to gather out there. The final purpose, and this is the one I'm going to go into next week. There's about 18 or 20 of these references. There's a lot of them. In Matthew, chapter 20, verses 24 through 28. This is where James and John says, my mom's got a question. And she, she says, can my sons be on your right and your left when you're in your kingdom? Now, they're still thinking physical kingdom at this particular point. And this, is, this goes into how the other disciples, the other ten disciples, reacted when she asked the question. And Christ said, it's not for me to decide who's on the right and the left. It's for the Father. And after hearing this, the other ten disciples became indignant with the two brothers. But Jesus called them to himself and said, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles domineer over them, and those in high position exercise authority over them. It is not this way among you, but whoever wants to become prominent among you shall be your servant, and whoever desires to be the first among you shall be your slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. What's this purpose? Serve. To serve. And? How, how's that service going to end? It's going to die. With his death. Yeah. He's to be this. His purpose is to be the sacrifice. So his purpose was to teach people, to teach people really who God was and what God was about, to bring in together all nations as children of God, and to be the sacrifice 
as they say, for the propitiation of our sins? Propitiation of our sins. Okay? Those three purposes is what I picked out from the purpose. This has got a lot. And that's why I made this for a separate class, is because there's a whole lot of references here that are pretty specific. Huh? What happens if you don't pay the ransom? When somebody kidnaps somebody, what do they do to the person they kidnapped? You don't get them back. Yeah. You don't get them back. You may get a lifeless body back, but you don't get them back normally. So he's to give his life as a ransom for many. The many being the world. So that's where we're going to pick up next week, is to go look at all those Old Testament references about why he was coming, his purpose. The reason I'm, we're going into this one also in, in saying what the purpose is, is to contrast with what they thought the purpose was of the Redeemer. What did they think the purpose of the Redeemers was? Huh? Slaughter the Romans. Get rid of the Romans and reestablish us as an independent country. Once again, with our own king and our own borders and God will fight for us and, and we can just be happy Jews. That was their concept of what the Redeemer was going to do. And you had all this Old Testament to say his purpose was never that. That was never what the purpose of Christ was about. Yeah, I, I went to high school and right next to our high school was a synagogue. And so I had a lot of, a lot of Jewish friends. And what do you think was the most important holiday as far as the one that got the most press in the Jewish, in Jewish environment? Hanukkah. You know what Hanukkah is? What does Hanukkah celebrate? Nope. Doesn't celebrate. It celebrates when the Jews threw off the control of the Seleucid Empire with the Maccabees. It's an Independence Day. The menorah is celebrating the days that it took them that they went through, that they threw off the control of the Seleucid Empire and established Israel as a free nation. So you can see that mindset still kind of carried forward. They're looking for a Messiah that's going to establish a great, free Israel. And it was very, very prevalent back then. Thanks for your attention.